Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And we're here to intellectually think of arguments and does it make sense when we weigh out truth with history, facts, archaeology, philosophy, science, and the reality that we live in. Now, I want to talk our conversation today will be contradictions, contradictions in the Bible. You know, it's more than often when I look at these contradictions It's just someone trying to find contradictions, but not really going through the Word of God and how the Bible is written to make sure that there isn't any more added information. Time and time again, we find added information uh, throughout Scripture. And so we, as Christians, we say we read the whole Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and then we focus in on the context and what does God really mean when he writes these things down. So, for instance, the first one we come to is, does God change? And this is one that they say, the skeptics would say, there's a contradiction on here. For in Malachi 3.6, it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. But then we find out after he says that he doesn't change, We find in Exodus 32, as Moses is pleading, remember they had just built the golden calf. Moses is coming down from the hill with the Ten Commandments, and he throws them to the ground, smashes it all up. And now he's looking at God, and he's pleading with God, and God's saying, hey, I'm going to wipe these Israelites out. I mean, they're building a gold calf right here, right on my hill, right by my hill. And it goes on to say this in Exodus thirty-two thirteen. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, your servants to whom you swear by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all the land that I have spoken of it I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. You know, it was God who was telling Moses, listen, I'm going to wipe these people out. I'm going to take you, Abraham, and we're going to go forward just like I promised. But here Moses is pleading with God. And so it says in verse 14 of Exodus thirty fourteen that the Lord 
changed his mind. Or if you read the King James Version, it says, So the Lord repented about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, we need to look at that word repented. Did he make a mistake? Did he say he did something? Therefore, realized that it was wrong because some guy like Moses came and instructed him and he realized he was wrong, so he turned from his ways. No, that's not what we get from the context. Remember, context is everything. When you look up the word repented, I understand for most Christians, the Bible asks us to make a 360 and turn from our sins. But there is this also there is this word for repented to have to do with compassion, pity. Uh, it would have to do with uh, relented or show mercy. So these are the type of words we're looking for when we're talking about someone repented, not not as far as sin against God. And you say I I turn away from my sins. This is not what's going on here. Now as we can see. The Lord has these attributes and characters that never change, but he loves to talk to his people. And anytime you're reading the Bible, you will find that whatever God does, he always leaves room for his people to talk to him because he doesn't want to be this God high above the earth, that this deist God that just does something and then he never talks to his people. No, on the other hand, he says, I'm personal. And I want a relationship with you. And so tell me how you feel because, you know what, God is sovereign. He already knows what's going to take place, and we'll see this. So the Lord changed the consequences of what's going on or what's going to happen, yet his attribute or character never changes. God is always full of mercy. The conversation that God has with people who turn from their sins, who ask for special privileges, does not mean that he has somehow changed his nature, his character, his attributes. For instance, when God is talking to Abraham about uh, uh, bringing down Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that Abraham came before him and he said, God, God, would you destroy the, the city with the righteous and the wicked? I mean, if there's just 50 people that are righteous there, would you destroy the city? And God looks at Abraham and says, no, Abraham, I won't destroy it if there's 50. And I mean, Abraham goes, well, God, if there's just 40, 40 righteous, would you destroy it? And he's going, no. Well, Abraham takes them all the way down to about 10 people. And he says, Lord, and this is in Genesis 18:23, And he says, Lord, if there is just 10 righteous, would you destroy the city? And this is what Jesus, this is what God's response to him is. He says this, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Well, guess what? There wasn't city, there wasn't 10 righteous men in the city and God destroyed the city with hell and brimstone. And so we see God having this dialogue with Abraham and he's actually telling Abraham, you know, you're asking for 10. I know there aren't 10 righteous men in that city that now judgment has to come. But he is having this dialogue, this conversation. And we see sometimes uh, God tells us that, yeah, okay, 
we'll go ahead and do it that way. But he knew all along that he was going to do it that way. He wants to see the heart of men, what they're thinking. We see this, for instance, in Jonah. And when Jonah went to take on Nineveh and told them to repent, well, the king says, but let man, the king of Nineveh, he's going, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Remember, Jonah goes in there and says, if you guys don't repent, God is going to destroy this city. And here the king cries out to all the people, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell? God will turn and relent. There's that word repent. That God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that he may, so that we may not perish. And then it goes on to say this, that God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented, God had mercy, God had compassion, God had pity from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not destroy Nineveh. So we see there isn't a contradiction when we're talking about, does God change? No, God does not change. He's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. On the second contradiction that I want to talk about is, did the people see God in all his glory? Now, the skeptics would say this is a contradiction. It tells us in Exodus 24, 9 through 11, Then Moses went up with Aaron and Adab and Abahu and seven of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hands against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. So here, if we were just to take this verse alone and hear what happened, it says that they saw God. And then you would say, well, there's probably, I think there's a contradiction I've heard otherwise in the Bible. And so we can look at this. If we look at the whole Bible, we can look at when Moses was talking to God one time in Exodus thirty-three eighteen to 20. And listen what happens here. Then Moses said, I pray you, Lord, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. So I will let my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. So we need to look at the context. If we take the whole Bible and you read everything that's in there, you realize that when people are seeing God, they're not seeing all his glory. They're just seeing either a manifestation or part of his glory or his goodness. That's what he called it. And so that was the second contradiction that we will see. And then the third one I want to talk about is, does Jesus contradict himself? Jesus says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. But then we find that in another occasion, Jesus said, so the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. So is Jesus contradicting himself? Is he saying one hand that what I say is if I testify of myself, it's not true? 
But if I do testify of myself, it is true. So I think there's a contradiction there. So let's talk about this on the second half of 1530 Apologetics. This is Joe Guiana. We'll see you. Come back and be a part of it. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85 percent of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. How you doing? Here we are on the second part of 1530 Apologetics. And we're talking about contradictions in the Bible. We left off talking about Jesus. Is he making a contradiction of himself? He said in John 5.31, if if alone I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. But then he goes on to say in John 8.13, he says, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. So we get a conflicting contradiction here if we just look at, at the two sentences of the verses that the skeptic would take to say that God is speaking contradictions. But when we examine the context of this, I want you to see what's going on. Jesus is talking to them about the judicial system. And he says, in the judicial system, if I alone testify, then yes, my testimony is not true, meaning Not that it's a lie, meaning that it's not valid in the judicial system because they knew that the judicial system said that you have to have two witnesses. But then on another occasion, when he he talks to them, of course he's saying my testimony is true. So the critic would say, which is it? Is Jesus, Jesus, his, his own testimony true or not true? And so what Jesus was saying is that In one hand, I'm telling you that in the court system, it would not be true. But outside the court system, what I say would be true. And he goes on to see this. So it says this. It says, Jesus here is saying, if I testify myself, it is true. But in your courts, one testimony would not be considered valid. And so here we read in John 5, 32. And he goes on to say, because he knew his own testimony wouldn't be valid. And that was verse 31. Verse 32, just the verse they just had to read down. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that his witness, which he witnesses of me, is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time. So here, Jesus is saying, even on verse uh, uh, 32 and 33, he says, I do have those who testify me because I know it wouldn't be valid in the system judicial courts, but they do validate me. But then when we go to John eight thirteen, when he says, even if I testify of myself, it is true. What he's, he's not talking about the court system. He's saying, listen, 
if I tell you things, I'm telling truth. I know I'm telling truth. Okay, so it says this in John eight thirteen, where in John eighteen he goes to validate what he's trying to say. He goes, "You." They say the Pharisees said to him, "You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true." And Jesus answered and said to them, "Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from." And where I am going. So it's really just an easy uh, testimony that Jesus is saying, listen, in the court system, I validated through testimony. But if you're asking me personally, I can testify on my own. And so as we get to the next contradiction, this contradiction is, did they hear voices or didn't they hear the voices? So this is Paul on his road to Damascus. And Jesus speaks to him. He falls off the horse and he hears the voice. And this is what it says in Acts 9, 3 and 4. It says, and as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus. This is Paul. And suddenly there shined round about the light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecute you me? And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless Hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So they're hearing a voice, but they're seeing no man. But then in Acts 22, which is, you know, another 12 chapters up, he's given his testimony again, Paul, which used to be called Saul, right? Now his name's Paul. And it says, and I fell into the ground, Acts 22, 7, and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So the critic would say, well, hold it. In Acts 9, it's saying that they're hearing a voice, but then in Acts 22, they said they heard not the voice. Well, the discrepancy is this. When they heard the voice, they heard just mumbling they, in, in verse Acts 22, they said they couldn't understand. They heard the voice, but they couldn't understand what it said. And that's all it's saying. So they heard a hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And the other verse says they heard not the voice of him that spake to him. And what they're trying, what he, what, what is happening here is they didn't understand what the voice was saying. And we can confirm that in other scriptures. So, Again, another item that the critics would call a contradiction, but it's just two times, two different verses, one saying they heard the verse, the voice, and one saying they heard not the voice of him that spake to him. So they didn't hear the voice that spake to him. So now I want to talk about how many angels were at the tomb. That's another uh, place the critic would say there are contradictions. So we got in Matthew 28, 1 to 6. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. We're going to see how many angels were at the resurrection, were at the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. And as his Appearance, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he had said. Come, see the place where he lie. So we know we're talking about one angel, and we know we're talking about a lot of time that's gone by. It went from the soldiers being knocked down, the tomb being open, to uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary actually running to the tomb to go visit the tomb. Now, as we get to the next verse, this is in John, not Matthew 28, but John 20, verses 11 and 12. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. So it doesn't mention at this point Mary, just Mary Magdalene. And while it was still dark, he saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So now there's either three angels, one in front of the tomb and two inside, or the same angel that was on the tomb, on the rock, might have been inside. See, we don't know those. We don't get those particulars told us, but we know there is either two or three angels. There is no contradiction here. All this is doing is adding more information. I don't know if you know this, but anytime there are witnesses to a scene or witnesses to a crime, you have pretty much the same story being told, but different sequences happen. Like the color changes a little bit. The turn changes a little bit. The way they yelled and screamed. One says it was very loud and one says it was moderate. But the testimony is still valid. In fact, they expect that when you have testimony. In fact, if it was all the same, we would say it was a right out lie. If they all written the same thing and said it the same way, We'd actually say it was all a lie. Now, in Luke 24, so John just mentions Mary of Magdalene. Then Matthew mentions Mary and Mary of Magdalene. And then we go to Luke 24, and it says this, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothes. Now there were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. So now we get more people there, but we still get the same story. These two men were actually, they look like men, but they were actually angels. So did they reflect? We know that the angels in the Bible all the time came out looking like men, but then all of a sudden there was something distinct about them that they would look like angels. So there are no contradictions here. More information added to the story. We can say that there was at least three angels there. Well, for sure there was three or maybe two. It depends, and we don't have the particulars, but it's not a contradiction. If we go on to the next one, the next story I want to, I mean, the next contradiction I want to talk about is about um, how did Judas hang himself? So on this it says in Acts one eighteen. Now the man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. 
Now, the critic would say, well, it tells us in Matthew 27, 4 and 5, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood, he said. What is this to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver, that is Judas, in the temple, departed, and went and hung himself. So did he hang himself or did his inner parts, his stomach, blow up? Well, that's easy to, to imagine that him him hanging himself, the rope getting cut, he hits the ground, he bursts asunder, or maybe he's just laying out there and his stomach blows up from the heat. So this is that things that we need to consider when we're talking about contradictions. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics, and we'll talk more about these things next week. Have a good time. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. 